Well, good morning. I trust your week has gone well thus far, and uh, you didn't see me last week for West Meadows at home. And it's because I took a couple of days off. Uh, a few people asked me if I was sick. No, I'm feeling just fine. Uh, and I'm feeling really good, actually, because we had a great service last week. And I'm so thankful that we had a wonderful staff team and volunteers who could step in and, and fill some of the gaps that I typically look after on Sunday morning. You know, and, and the fact that we have the ability to do that, the fact that we have the ability to continue fruitful, productive ministry, it just reveals that even though we're all going through a difficult time here at the church and at home and throughout our community and even throughout the world, even though it's a difficult time, I think locally, all things considered, we're doing well. We're doing well here in Edmonton, and I, I trust in your homes you're doing well, certainly around the church here. If you haven't talked to a staff member recently or had a chance to stop by the church for some reason, I can tell you that, that things are good given the situation we find ourselves in. I was reading an article about that, actually, earlier this week. And it was an article that was trying to recap some of the positives, as few as they may be, trying to find the positives of what's happening locally during this uh, coronavirus. And one of the things that it really emphasized, that I'm sure you've experienced as well through different media forms, is this unity that is forming around our heroes, but at the same time, this ability to identify new heroes in the society that we exist. And, and no, I'm not talking about the breakout hockey players that at this time of year would typically be leading their team towards winning Lord Stanley's Cup. We do hope that returns one day. But, but today, I'm more specifically speaking about, about the nurses and, and the doctors, the, the paramedics, the, those who are part of the emergency services we call our first responders but also the new essential services, people who look after our transit system, stock the shelves of our grocery stores, make deliveries to our homes. All of these people who continue to serve at the risk of themselves and their families. You know, and, and some of them probably are even joining us online right now. So why don't we just pause for one second? Uh, and I want to encourage you to remember them in your prayers, but right now, just to take a moment and perhaps even type a comment of thanks to them or, or hit that like button on the screen that you're, that you're watching on, and just as a sign of solidarity and, and thankfulness towards these people that we need so desperately right now. And as you're doing that, I just want to suggest that as we celebrate them, we, we celebrate them for what they do, but... If you were to listen to an interview with one of them on TV, or if you had a chance to actually talk with one of them, don't be surprised if you learn that their activity actually springs forth from who they are. You see, I, I think at least people, and the ones I've talked to at least, they have this deep conviction within them. They have this set of values that, that wasn't taught to them while they were in school, but it's part of their identity. It, it's an aspect of who they are. And, and this reinforces a principle that I strongly believe in. And it's this. It's that our activity, or sometimes our lack thereof, but, but our activity springs forth from who we are. Therefore, when we celebrate these people, it's not just us celebrating what they do. We're actually celebrating who they are. And, and for today's purposes, the message today, I want to suggest to you as well that this principle can also be applied to what we've been studying in the book of Philippians. You see, one way to summarize Paul's letter thus far to the church in Philippi is that early on he presented a core verse uh, found in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, where he says, whatever happens, whatever happens in your life, conduct yourselves. That's the activity part. Conduct yourselves in a manner 
That's the identity part of who we are. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then he goes on to unpack that in the part of the letter we've looked at thus far. And he does so by presenting two examples. Two ways of visualizing or perhaps bringing to life what it looks like to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one of the first examples he gives is, in chapter 1, being himself. Now... That's a pretty high example, because here's Paul, this spiritual father of the church of Philippi, the guy who wrote like a a third of the New Testament. And and he's currently in prison in Rome, waiting to go stand before Caesar to present the gospel. Now, at the same time, he's lost his freedoms. He's got rivals coming against him. He doesn't know if he's going to live or if he's going to die. But what does he do? Does does he fold? Does he just kind of turtle and curl up into a ball? No. He shows us that he stands firm. He continues to advance the gospel, and he does it all with a smile, telling us to rejoice in all situations. That's a hard example to live up to. But he gives us a second one. Perhaps if Paul's example is too hard to live up to, he gives us a second one. But that might not help either, because the second example he gives in chapter 2 is Jesus. As he admonishes this squabbling church in Philippi, he says, have the attitude of Jesus. That if you are united in Christ, that, that through that unity that you have, from that should flow these demonstrations of humility, of, of sacrificial love, of, of having the interests of others above your own, kind of like Jesus did when he came to earth and went to the cross to pay the price for your sins. And so we're halfway through the book of Philippians. And, and in summary, it can be easy to hear Paul saying something like, be like me, or, or, or be like Jesus, preferably both. And I can hear some of the people in Philippi, perhaps I can hear some people watching on their screens right now saying, I can't do that. I love you, Paul. I love you, Jesus, but I can't do that. Perhaps you find yourself reading your Bible sometimes, and you see this high call of followership that Jesus presents. Perhaps you listen to sermons, and, and, and as we unpack God's word, there's these seemingly impossible expectations. Perhaps you've been around a church, and, and you see people who are serving more, giving more, attending more, doing more than you, and they have the audacity to do it with a smile the whole time. And the thought pops into your head, I can't do that. Well, I have good news for you. You see, the passage we're going to look at today in, in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 19, Philippians 2, 19, I encourage you to find that in your Bibles, or if you're using our new uh, presentation model through our website, you'll see on the right-hand side of your screen, it says Bible. You can look this verse up right there and follow along. Philippians 2, verse 19, Paul presents two more examples, two guys by the name of Timothy and Epaphroditus, and Paul extols them, not because of what they do, but because of who they are. And if you've ever wondered, what is the key to greater activity in your life, and and especially greater activity in your life for God, I don't believe it's going to primarily be found in you mustering more effort to tackle your to-do list. I think it comes more accurately from an understanding that your activity springs forth from who you are. And what Paul has been calling the church to, what he's been calling us to in this letter in Philippians, is to understand that when we invite the presence of Jesus into our lives, it changes us. 
The Bible says we become reborn. It doesn't mean we get a facelift. It doesn't mean we, we get a badly needed haircut that we all are looking for right now. It doesn't mean that we can lose the 10 pounds we've lost during COVID, or in my case, 10 pounds for the crisis and 10 pounds for the camera. I'm at a disadvantage more than anybody. But it means we're being reborn, that right down to the core of our being, we have a new identity, and our activity springs forth from that new identity. And how Paul describes this is, is found at the start of chapter 2, in verses 1 through 4. And if I can paraphrase this for us, we, we studied this a couple weeks ago, uh, the week before Easter celebration, if you want to go back and listen to that message. But if I can just paraphrase that for you, here's kind of what he was, he was saying. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If you have any common sharing in the Spirit, if, if you've essentially entered into this relationship with Christ, then be like-minded. Be loving. Be one in spirit. Be one in mind with others around you. Be humble. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, do, because of who you're being, do value others above yourself. Do look to the interest of others. And as we'll see in the example of Timothy and Epaphrodites, that they are examples of what that passage looks like lived out in the time of Paul. And we'll see that these guys do indeed conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, let's have a look at these two examples in more detail. If you've read any of Paul's letters before, you've probably come across the name Timothy. Because Timothy and Paul had a really close relationship. And, and we learn much about them and their relationship in the books of First and Second Timothy in, in the books of Acts. But I can summarize for you very briefly. Timothy is this young guy who was raised primarily by his mother and grandmother who were Jewish Christians. It's believed that Timothy's father was, was a Greek Gentile, perhaps even a pagan man. And we don't know too much about his dad, but we see the incredible influence of the women in his life as they raised him in the scriptures. They raised him with a tradition of faith. They had a strong influence upon his upbringing. And when Paul meets Timothy in, in a town called Lystra, he's a young adult who was already very involved in the church. And Paul decides to take this young man under his wing. And Timothy becomes a disciple of Paul. And they go off on some short-term mission trips together. They, they become co-workers. And it eventually grows to the point where Timothy becomes a constant companion for Paul. And that grows to where he becomes a trusted ally of Paul. And Paul starts to give him very important responsibilities. And we can see here that in Paul's description of Timothy, that he has something for Timothy to do, but that mission springs forth from who Timothy is. So let's read about this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 24, where it says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, but, uh, and that I may also uh, be cheered when I receive news from you. I, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone else looks out for their own interests not those of Jesus Christ. But I know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me 
And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. On the surface, Timothy can have a bit of a celebrity status to him. He's this young hotshot. He's Paul's number two guy. He becomes the leader of the church in Ephesus. But Timothy's life involves some great things, but that's not what Paul celebrates here. Instead, what does Paul highlight? Paul highlights his concern for others. He says that Timothy knows what it means to be united in spirit and in love. Timothy knows what it means to show genuine care, to, to be involved in other people's lives. He epitomizes that phrase, we are all in this together. Secondly, Paul highlights his commitment to the gospel, that Timothy's commitment to the gospel is above all other concerns that he may have in his life, even to the point of his own expense. Because Timothy believes that life is better with Jesus, and he is willing to sacrifice his own interests and his own needs so that people can hear about God's love for them. So that people who have already heard about God's love for them can grow deeper in their knowledge and experience of God's love for them. But then thirdly, he also highlights that Timothy's faithfulness, where this young man's mettle has been tested in the difficulty of ministry. He has proven that he is not just half-heartedly involved. He is not just a faithful follower. He is not just a faithful volunteer when the path is easy and it's convenient for him, but that he is all in. And that this is a man that you can count on, a man ahead of his age that you can count on in every season. No wonder Paul feels that he cannot send Timothy back to the Philippians until Paul knows the outcome of his own trial because he wants a man of that character. He wants a man of those attributes to stand with him and support him in his time of need. Uh, sort of as Andrew described last week, Timothy, an example of a guy who owns it, of a guy who will never break. That's who he is. And because of who he is, we can also expect results because activity springs forth from his identity. So let me ask you a question, maybe, maybe a tough question right now. What about you? Now, I love the people of West Meadows. I, I see demonstrations of, of these attributes and characteristics in them in many, many ways. You know, immediately after this, uh, this coronavirus hit, it, it was amazing how quickly some people in the church stood up and raised their hand and said, what can I do? How can I be involved? But I want to encourage you perhaps to take a moment of self-reflection and self-examination. I want to encourage you just to pause right here in the middle of the service after we think about the example of Timothy and, and listen to what the Spirit may be saying to you. Perhaps everything I've talked about so far, that this relationship with Jesus Christ and the difference it makes, the, the transformation, the empowering that comes from it, this idea of a new identity, maybe that's all foreign to you. Maybe you've never experienced that because you've never surrendered your life to Christ. But as I talk about that, there's something in you that says, this is what's missing. Perhaps others are, are listening right now and you just think to yourself, you know, in terms of concern for others or, or faithfulness or my commitment to the gospel, yeah, I could press into one of those more than I have in the past. So let me ask you this question. What difference would it make in your life? What difference would the presence of Jesus in your life make? What difference would it make if you had a greater concern for others? 
if you had a greater commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ and sharing that with the world? What difference would it make in your life if you had a stronger faith because of the presence of Christ? I want you to consider how that would impact your relationships. What would be different in how you are a demonstration of Christ in the lives of those around you? I want you to consider if that was your identity, how would your activity be different? Would you have a stronger faith? Would you have a bolder witness? Would your walk with Christ and your spiritual disciplines of prayer and reading your scriptures and and meditating and serving be more consistent? I just want to invite you to reflect upon that. And you know, if, if you're using our, our new viewer, you're going to see at the bottom, right off of our website, you're going to see at the bottom, there's a button that says prayer. If you click on that even right now, it'll take you to a side window where you can have a private moment of prayer with one of our prayer partners. And I encourage you to do that. You can continue this conversation one-on-one or pray about this with them right now. And as you reflect upon that, I also want you to consider the second example that Paul includes in this passage. That being a man by the name of Epaphroditus who also was very familiar to the church in Philippi. Because, you see, he was originally sent from them to Paul. He was given an important mission to do. And that mission was to provide a monetary gift and to minister to the needs of Paul. But after he'd only been there a short time, just a fraction of the time that he was planned to be with Paul, Paul ends up sending him back home to Philippi with this letter, as a matter of fact. Now, you can imagine that when Epaphrodites arrives back in Philippi, much earlier than expected, people are naturally worried. They're probably thinking, why did he get sent home from summer camp so early? It's usually an indication that a problem occurred. And so as he's walking into the church and they are all gathered, they see him coming in, they go, Epaphrodites, what did you do wrong? But without saying a word, he could simply hand them the letter. Because Paul now goes into great lengths to explain why Epaphrodites was sent home. Because he gives him a glowing review. And we see this as we continue reading the rest of the passage, beginning in verse 25. Where it says, But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my co-worker, my fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and he almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. On the surface, Epaphrodites is a wealthy man and a respected leader in the church of Philippi. That's why they sent him as their representative to their spiritual father, Paul. But practically speaking, he did not accomplish his mission. The do was more of a didn't when you look at how it all went. Now, now some people think that perhaps the stress of the journey and the conditions of of being in this prison with Paul in Rome led to him having a bit of a nervous breakdown, and and it made him homesick. 
Others, more, more likely, suspect that what happened is, as part of the journey, he contracted a pandemic referred to as the Roman fever that was sweeping through villages. And it was very serious, and he fell gravely ill and almost died. It's it, interestingly not that dissimilar from a situation that we perhaps find ourselves or loved ones or neighbors in, in these days. But, but whatever it was, he recovered. He recovered, but after that, he desired to go back home, which was quite honestly quite fine for Paul, because while Epaphroditus was sent to look after Paul and to encourage Paul and to serve his needs, Paul ends up with the added stress of having to nurse Epaphroditus back to health and and to encourage him in his distress. And at the same time, he hears that the people back in Philippi know that he's not well, and so they're worried about him, and so Paul thinks it's just easier for everyone if he just goes home. Oh, and by the way, I need a mailman anyways, and so I can give him this letter. But Paul has the wisdom to foresee how this is all going to look. Because he knows that when Epaphrodite shows back up in Philippi, they're going to judge him on what he accomplished, and it wasn't quite what they expected. So, Paul focuses the church's view upon the true nature of who this man is. Paul calls him a brother. This is a term of endearment. It speaks of their unity in Christ. He's saying, like, we are like family. He calls him a co-worker, saying, you know, this man and I, we stood side by side. We stood shoulder to shoulder as we shared the good news of Jesus Christ with the world. He is a fellow soldier. He has suffered the rigors of ministry he, to the point where he almost died. But even on the other side of that great of a suffering, he emerged committed. Paul calls him a messenger. Another word for that would be apostle. And that word apostle is specifically reserved in Scripture to show somebody of high honor and high distinction. It's most often referred to somebody who has witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ and is called to preach the good news of Christ. And and so we can't fully apply that to Epaphroditus because he didn't witness the resurrection of Christ. But what Paul is saying is that he is worthy of the honor of one who did. And he calls him a minister. Another word for that can be priest meaning one who meets the needs of others in service of God. Paul's saying to these people, yes, he's back early. No, he didn't accomplish his mission, but he is a demonstration of deep concern and deep care for me, for you, and for the gospel of Christ. Yes, the outcomes fell short, but only because of events beyond his control. But what he could control was his dedication to the brothers, His dedication to the gospel was unwavering. What he could control was that he remains faithful to the point where it almost cost him his very life. And so I'm sending him back to you. So receive him. Don't just look at the number of boxes he ticked off the to-do list. Look at who he is. He is worthy of being celebrated. He is worthy of honor. He is worthy to be considered an example of who we as followers of Christ, of who we as the church are called to be. I genuinely hope that these two guys are an encouragement to someone today. And maybe there's somebody listening who feels like they fall short. You feel like I'm not good enough. I don't do enough. Especially during this time of restricted activity. 
If you have any of those thoughts or if you think those sorts of things, remember, your identity in Jesus Christ is worth celebrating. And that is where your activity springs from. That is where the victories that Timothy and Epaphroditus sprang from. It wasn't of them. It was the power of Christ in them. If you were to do a fuller study on these guys, you'd find out that it was not them. Timothy was thought to be too young. Didn't have enough gray hairs. He came from a strained family with an absent father. He came from a poor family with with a bad name, bad lineage. Epaphroditus fell ill and got homesick, causing him to fall short of his goals. But both of these guys are considered demonstrations of love and commitment and faithfulness to God and to his church and to the good news. Both of these guys are considered worthy examples, qualified examples, biblical examples of what it looks like to live a life worthy of the good news of Jesus Christ. But before I close, there's another reason to value and to find people upon who they are rather than what they do. And it's because we are all human. It's this common condition we all suffer from. And it guarantees one thing. It guarantees that we will all fail. We will fail ourselves. We will fail others. And we will certainly fail God. Even those who we look up to, the role models, the mentors in our lives. Be careful if you only identify them by what they do. Because they're human too. The the person you work with, the person you work for, the person you are married to, uh, your best friend, they're all human. And if your identity and relationship with them is based upon what they do, there is coming a time when that will be challenged. One of the early mentors I had in my ministry, a man who shaped my ministry and and taught me so much about what it means to lead a church. My vision of him was absolutely shattered when I found about a moral failure in his life. Before I was a pastor and I was a growing salesman, I had a sales manager who taught me a lot and, and helped me to succeed and actually became a friend of mine. And then he turned on me. And I ended up having to lose my job. There are people that I encounter, that, that I counsel, who, who have spouses at one time in their life, they promise to love each other like no other. But then when I'm talking to them, they are wounding each other like no other. Or perhaps you had a relationship with a, with a pastor in whom you placed trust and who you reached out to in your time of need. In, in some way, in some fashion, you feel betrayed by that person, like a confidence was betrayed when, you were sharing a vulnerable time with them. Now, I'm not suggesting we can excuse people just because they're human and and they probably have a good heart under it all. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is don't be surprised when humans fail you. And it's an opportunity for us to practice who we are in Christ, to practice extending grace, to practice extending humility and forgiveness. I think that's why it's so important for us to find our identity in Christ. Because he is the only one who will never fail us, who will never leave us, and who will never forsake us. He is the only one who is capable to live up to the expectations and to carry the demands of our brokenness. You see, when what we did, the the wrongs and the hurts that we've caused towards others and towards God, when what we did meets who he is, being the worthy son of God who paid the price for our sins, when those two things meet, 
we receive a new identity. The Bible says we are reborn. We become children of God with a new hope and with a new future. 2 Corinthians 5.17 puts it this way. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and it is wiped out because the new is here. Your identity does not have to be based upon what you do. It can be based upon who you are because of whose you are. There is only one who could do what Jesus did. And there are very few who are called to achieve what Paul did. But in Christ, we can all be the forgiven, set free, spirit-empowered children of God. And from there, we'll spring forth our conduct as we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to close in a word of prayer. But some of you may want to pause for a moment of prayer here yourselves. And again, there's that button at the bottom of your screen. If, if you want to know more about how you can invite Jesus into your life, if you want to pray that prayer with somebody, if there's something else that's stirring that you want to bring before the Lord in prayer, click on that button now and somebody will join you in a moment of private prayer with the rest of us. Join me in a closing word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, that you are the one we can look to, that you sent your son to pay the price for that which keeps us separated from you, but that through his sacrifice we can be united and not just be in relationship, but be completely reborn. New identity in Christ, with a new hope, with a new future, with the benefits that come as being children of the living God. Lord, help us to stand firm in that identity. That anything that we do in our homes, in our church, in our world, would just spring forth from that. That you would be honored, that you would be glorified, not just by who we are, but what we do because of whose we are. Lord, for those who do not have you in their life, I pray for them right now that the spirit that is among them would convict them and say, this is what's missing in your life. You need to press into Christ to find that freedom, to find that new hope, that new empowering, that new identity. May we as a people here at West Meadows be able to serve them, to honor you as we serve them, and to grow your kingdom. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, just before we close, I want to share with you a short passage that Paul wrote to another church in Colossae. And it speaks even more of some of the characteristics and attributes of who we can be, our identity in Christ. And it says this in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and with patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We'll see you next Sunday for West Meadows at Home.